in the call to worship printed in your bulletin. Holy One, we await you standing on tiptoe, hoping for a glimpse of your reign on earth. We trust in your promise of shalom for a time in which our tears are dried and our joy abounds. And now if you will stand and join in our opening hymn.
This is the second week of Advent. We light the candles of hope, peace. As we continue this journey marked by waiting and anticipation. Let us pray. God of hope and peace, we thank you for your promise of new life, an infant-shaped promise of hope in our messy world. This Advent, help us to be ambassadors of your peace, sharing with all your people in our neighborhoods, city, country, and global community. May we grow in hope and peace during these weeks of Advent as we wait and prepare for Christ's coming. Amen. Amen. It is time for Young and Young at Heart to join me up here. This is the message for all ages. It looks like I have a firefighter coming in case our Advent candles get out of hand. <laughs> Thank you, Zane. Ready to keep us safe. Hi, guys. So some of you helped with Advent earlier today. Some of you might have talked about Advent at Kids in the Middle. We have our hope and peace candles lit. And we are celebrating for four weeks, four Sundays. This is our second Sunday of Advent. Advent is like a journey. It leads us up to Christmas every year, and we have four different themes we celebrate during Advent. What were the two you heard today? Jihani, remember? Hope and peace. peace. Nailed it. Nailed it. Hope and peace. Next week, we'll celebrate joy, and the week after that, we'll celebrate love. So in this season of Advent, we are waiting. And waiting is hard sometimes. We are preparing, we are getting ready. Thanks for your help, Brooks. And we are anticipating, we are looking forward to Christ's coming. The word Advent means coming. Advent, coming. We are waiting and preparing, hoping, praying, Brooks had a really good question for me as he was getting ready to light the Advent wreath today. He said, is there a candle for justice? And his mom said, you know what? I think if you are doing hope, if you are doing peace, if you are looking for joy and celebrating love, that is the work of justice. Thank you for that reminder, Brooks. So as we are on this journey, we have four candles. What color are the candles, my friends? Yep. Purple, purple, and pink. Purple and pink. We have two purple lit today. Next week, it will be the pink candle. It's our only pink candle, and that is for joy. So I want to invite our young friends and our young at heart friends to think about how we're cultivating these themes 
in all ages during this season. We have these really fun posters that say hope and peace that our 930 young and young at Harders started coloring. You get to help color those today. Grown-ups will even let you contribute in the social hall after worship. As you color, I invite you to think about how can you help share hope and how can you help share peace this week? Let's say a prayer, friends. You can stand next to your buddy. You can hold hands if you'd like. <laughs> Dear God, thank you for hope. Thank you for hope. Thank you for peace. Thank you for peace. Help us. Help us. Share this with our friends. Share this with our friends. Amen. Amen. Let's sing Siahamba and return to our spots. Amazing Middle Church. How you doing? It's week two of Advent. Have you been escaping the malls or have you been visiting the malls? Welcome to Middle Church, guys. My name is Jackie Lewis and I'm a senior minister here. How many of you are here for the very first time today? Yeah, wow, good, amen. Amen. Where are you from? Can you keep your hands raised? Where are you from? Queens, amen. Queens in the house. Where are you from? Los Angeles. Where are you from? Two blocks away. What took you so long to come home to us? Where, where are you from? Upper West Side. Upper West Side in the hose. <laughs> Seattle. Where? North New Jersey. North New Jersey. Amen. And we're so glad you're here. And if you're online, we're jealous that you're drinking cocoa. But we're waving to you and saying, peace be with you. Peace be with you if you're online. How many of you here were here last Sunday? Somebody say, wow! Wow! Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm so tired. <laughs> I could just lay on the floor and take a nap. But it was so wonderful. You did such a good job. Claps and snaps to everybody. Thank you, Laura. Woo! You guys were awesome. 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 Thank you so much for coming early in the morning and staying all day long. Um, thank you also for not scooping us. You've been very sweet about not putting your secret pictures that you took on social media. <laughs> so, thank you for hanging on to those. Uh, we are gonna really invite you into a social campaign uh, next week so we can just begin to tell the world about you, Middle Family, and how amazing you are, and that this is what love looks like. So thank you so much uh, for that. Matthew Johnson Harris wrapped it. We got permission to use glory, thanks to you. Woo!
I mean, this is going to show up in a sermon, so I don't want to scoop myself, but all it, all it took was for me to say, you know, we need help getting glory, and you guys made phone calls, and so-and-so was the nanny to so-and-so, and somebody sent me John Legend's home address. I mean, you, you all went crazy. <laughs> um, Mark Otto called contacts, you know. Um, people just used their, used their um, influence, and we got a, not only permission, but also a great price. So amen. Amen. So there's lots of things happening in these next couple of weeks. There's In the Middle programming. Our own special Lars is teaching a Bible study in the middle. Started today, next week, week after that. Um, on Tuesday, this Tuesday at 7 and next Tuesday at 7, we have what we call our Blue Christmas because we know when we lose people, sometimes it can be really tough uh, to go through the holidays. So come spend some time with me and Bertram and just pray and just cry and just light candles for the people we love. That's this Tuesday and next Tuesday. We want to invite you to come and be with us. It's going to be just some special, quiet, lovely time. Um, um, tonight, today, today, our own Dennis Barton and our special guest are doing a reading of their book, Sacred Shelter, right here in the sanctuary at 1.30. So exciting. So, so get your eats on and then, uh, and then please come and spend some time and hear these beautiful stories. And um, there are also uh, events on the border. Um, I just want to say that we are as outraged as you are outraged about what's happening on the border. And so this weekend, we're socializing some things that are happening December 9, 10, because this begins sort of immigrant week, or right, or the, the season of immigration. So today, we're going to socialize what we're seeing in the world. Uh, Amanda and I are working on a strategy with Bertram and our team for the, for the whole, from now through, uh, January, middle of January. And if you want to know what's going on these next couple of Tuesdays, see the beautiful Amanda, who I can't see where she is. Okay, she's in the back. But she'll be looking for you up here, okay? Let you know what's happening. Is that helpful? You've got a little insert in your bulletin about the plays that are going to happen on the 16th. Come on, Harold. We love you. So six at six, five plays, December 16th, right here in Middle Church. You can clap for that. That's lay people doing beautiful work. All right. And with all of that, I'm going to ask um, uh, for Christina to come and lead us in a time of prayer. Take a deep breath and be ready to pray with Christina. Thanks, everyone. If you'll put your feet firmly on the floor and join me in um, sitting straight up, which I rarely do. And... Um, opening your heart, which I often don't do in the winter months. And extend your hands forward. You can pray with your eyes closed, your eyes open, whatever you're most comfortable with. Hey God, it is us. We thank you on this day that you enter our body as breath. And as we deep, breathe deeply into the soles of our feet, we ask that you hold our vulnerable hearts and that you bless us with a peace that is tangible, with a hope that we can touch, and with a little bit of surprise of joy so that we can just laugh a little bit with you because we are in need of some joy. We pray on this day for your wisdom and your creativity 
to be in Washington, D.C., in California and Alaska, and at our borders, where you have been told there is no room for you in the inn, and you were tear gassed. So we pray on this day, holding all of those things, that you remind us of your ancient and right now story. Rachel Naomi Remen says, sometimes we need the story more than we need to eat. Because that story, as Jackie has proclaimed in her sermons, of a baby being held, of vulnerability being held, of you in flesh being held right now is not the common story and usually is not on CBS. But you have whispered into all of us today that we are to prepare a way for you and you will lower even the mountains. So right now, right here, we may experience you in a tangible form. Yes, we are waiting, but we are also experiencing you in the places that need your breath. We thank you, God, that in these days, you will keep showing up for us again and again and allowing us to be players in a story that is yours and to keep reclaiming your love so that the people who walk away from here or tune on their televisions on Christmas Eve experience a multiracial baby that is preaching justice and knowing your peace every day. In your many names I pray, amen. If you will rise and hold the hand of each other. We are a beloved community and we need each other. And say the Lord's Prayer in the language that you know it. So if it's in Spanish or Chinese, say that virgin. Ever loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the reign and the power and the glory forever. Please pass the peace, especially with those you do not know.
Our scripture this afternoon comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let us listen together for the word of God as it comes to us from the evangelist. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Echuria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill made, shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Good morning, Middle Church, or good afternoon, Middle Church. Please join me for a word of prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy God. Let your word fall afresh upon us and give us the courage to follow where you lead. We pray these things trusting in your love and your grace and your care for each and every one of us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Recently I watched Trevor Noah's comedy special called Son of Patricia online. Anyone else see it? You should check it out. Yeah, good. For those of you who don't know who he is, uh, Noah is the host of The Daily Show. He was born in South Africa and is the child of a black South African woman, Patricia, and his father Robert is white. 
During apartheid, any romantic mixing between people of different skin colors was legally prohibited and punishable, generally for the black person, with imprisonment. Trevor's skin color, a blend of this brown woman and tan man, made his existence a crime, and it made his mom a criminal. And because it was illegal for his parents to live together, young Trevor spent much of his early years hiding, living in abject poverty that was relegated for blacks during the South African time of discrimination. And now, decades later, Noah is an internationally known celebrity, living in the U.S. with more wealth and luxury than he could have ever imagined growing up in the shanty towns of Johannesburg. In this special, he tells the story of planning a vacation with a friend here in America who suggested that for a relaxing getaway, they should go camping. The idea did not, the idea did not sit very well with him. For a person who grew up with unstable housing, limited electricity, questionable drinking water, and no plumbing, the thought of going out into a remote area in the wilderness without basic conveniences like a bathroom or a bed might not have been their idea of real relaxation. The wilderness, by definition, is an uncultivated, uninhabited, inhospitable region, a rough and treacherous geography. For many, the mere thought of being there suggests that you're in a place that's unsafe. It might be full of dangerous animals or challenges you must overcome, threats you can neither see nor control. And most New Yorkers I know want the ability to talk their way or to buy their way or maybe Uber their way out of difficult situations. <laughs> and you can't do that in the wilderness. I don't think they have Uber there. The concept of wilderness can show up in our lives in a variety of forms. Whether if you, or not you've been to the highest mountains or to the dent, densest forests or felt the searing heat of the desert, I would guess that each and every person that's here today and watching online has experienced their own sense of personal wilderness in some way. Maybe it was the shock of an unexpected diagnosis or the unforeseen interruption in a previously happy relationship that drove you into the wilderness. Maybe your job ended and you had no means to support yourself and, and that placed you in a financial wilderness. Or it could have been that habit, that thing that you like to do that grew into a dependency, that grew into an addiction, that became an emotional and physical wilderness. Or could it be that wilderness is all you've ever known? It's not just an occasion, it's a way of life. Is it the body you were or weren't born into or the truth that you know that other people said made you unacceptable? I have a friend named Chad who <clears throat> is a talented poet and author and playwright. He has a collection of poems called Born 1,000 Years Too Early. <laughs> Fat, dark-skinned, gay, and adopted by white folks. <laughs> a fragmentary journey towards alignment. <laughs> In reading his work, I get the impression that life has always been seen from the perspective of one 
living on the edge of society, never from the center, always on the outside. Chad knows life from the wilderness. Maybe some of you do too. But as hard as it is to endure the chill of emotional isolation or the burn of social stigma and shame, today's reading tells us that it's exactly in the midst of the dangerous and desperate wilderness where God shows up and has decided to do something new. In this second week of Advent, we're not listening to stories of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. There are no angels with messages to proclaim, but a lone man living outside the bounds of polite society and religious conformity. The text tells us the word of God met John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, John is an unlikely character in an unexpected place. Luke's gospel tells us, or doesn't tell us why he was there. We know he came from a good family. His father had a respectable job as a priest in the temple. Yet in spite of his privilege and status, John lived as an outcast. Matthew's gospel tells us his clothes were made of camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Now, I know that some of you think that's a classically, like uh, that's, that look is always fashionable and will never go out of style. Patty, I'm thinking about you. But in the first century Palestine, it marked John as an outsider, one who lived off the rough of the land. John was a survivalist, eating locusts and wild honey. He would have been a great contestant on Survivor, or maybe Man versus Wild. But he was not there for public recognition or claim. John was a prophet. And like those who came before him, found himself not only in a geographic wilderness, but a political and a spiritual one also. Under the reign of Emperor Tiberius, the Jewish people were a despised class. Those who could not be conscripted into the Roman army to oppress their people or agreed to renounce their faith were treated as less than human by the Roman supremacists. And much like our government treats immigrants, Muslims, poor people, gender nonconforming, and people of color today, those who weren't sent into exile faced threats and exploitation and assaults on their humanity every day. That's, that's another thing about wilderness. You don't have to go to it. Sometimes it comes to you. So in that space, John preaches repentance. He's reminding people in that time and in our time that there is another way of being human. Political power and wealth are not the path of the one who comes to show us the fullness of God's love. John was preparing the way for Jesus, who came to upset the marketplace, to open wide the dates of the, the doors of the jailhouse, to set the scales of justice right in the courthouse, and to heal bitter and broken hearts in and outside the church house. Repent and be baptized, was his cry. John offered a chance to, to start over, to start again, to try love again. But at the same time he offered those words to those who came to hear him, he also offered something that all people who hunger and work for justice long for. He offered them hope. On this second Sunday of Advent, we lit two candles today. 
The first was for hope, and the second one was for peace. And I found a definition of hope that, that I really liked. It says, hope is an optimistic state of mind based on expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events in one's life and for the world at large. When we light these candles, we remember that hope is more than a feeling. Hope is a practice. Hope is the incubator, the catalyst for all the dreams we have for ourselves and for the world. When we want to see justice as, was it was Brooks, where Brooks asked about justice, when we want to see justice embodied through right relationships and fair treatment in our nation and around the world, we begin with hope that we can make that so. When our hearts are breaking, watching thousands of asylum seekers marching, infants and mothers and fathers, the peace we want for them begins with hope. When we, when we seek repair in our personal lives, healing from addiction, relief from depression, peace in our household, all of that begins with hope. Middle Church, I have a confession to make today, though. One of the greatest challenges I've encountered in the past two years has been holding on to hope. Yes, I'm a person of faith, I'm a Christian, I believe in God and Jesus, and I'm a pastor. And like John and Jesus, it's my calling to proclaim God's truth, God's grace, and God's love for all people. But I will also say that as a black man, whose parents grew up in the segregated South and were the first in their families to go to, to college, who taught us as kids that getting good grades and always doing what's right would keep us safe, it's sometimes hard for me to have hope for my position in life and for people who look like me because I've learned that what they taught me is not always true. In the U.S., black people and other people of color are criminalized and incarcerated at exponential rates just because of the color of our skin. Today, as we sit here, there are children and parents fleeing through the wilderness of Central America, just like Jesus and Mary and Joseph did, looking for asylum, for shelter, for water and food, and our, shelter, and our soldiers will meet them with tear gas and bullets. In 2018, Native American women are still being abducted and sold into sexual slavery from the U.S. around the world. Flint still doesn't have clean drinking water, and many in Puerto Rico are without power, and the list goes on and on, and all of this is rooted in our country's addiction to white supremacy, patriarchy, and greed. But friends, I tell you, there is a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Pre-e-e-pare ye the way of the Lord. In this Advent season of 2018, the prophet John reminds us, middle, that just as the word of God found a wild man in the wilderness of first century Palestine, the word of God meets each and every one of us in our rough and wild and untamed places of our lives. 
God's promise of unconditional love gives us hope that we can work, we can advocate and legislate for peace. And that when we do that, we can make the crooked places maybe a little more straight and the rough places a little more smooth. And it's not that we get to do this. Friends, we have to do this. It's how we share in ushering in the reign of God and the hope that we proclaim in the wilderness and at the border and at our job and on our block is just a taste of the love and justice that God is bringing into the world. But we have to be about it. We have to do it. When I see violence around me, the resurgence of white supremacy and misogyny, the injustice, the hate, and the pain, it feels overwhelming. Sometimes I, I, I struggle with hope. But then in those moments, I remember the words of Maya Angelou that said, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I'm reminded that my ancestors endured backbreaking labor and the lash of the whip on their backs through the period of enslavement. I'm reminded that millions upon millions of people through every culture and every time have suffered through some political wilderness of tyrants and dictators, oppression and execution. But we hold on to hope because without hope there can be no peace. And we, Middle Church, are their hope. You are their hope. I am their hope. Together, we carry on the hope that was begun in them. Life in the wilderness is often typified as suffering. There is always work. There is little comfort, little relief, little peace. But Romans 5 tells us that when we stand up against suffering, whether it's the suffering that we're experiencing or the suffering of our neighbor or maybe someone we don't even know, that when we do that, we're producing endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because it inspires us to believe that God's love has been poured out into our lives and our hearts and the hearts of all people so that one day all people in all places will celebrate the liberating love of God. As I close, I want you to hear the text that Caroline read, but I want to hear it with a slight edit. So, in the second year of the Trump administration, when Ron DeSantis became governor of Florida and Brian Kemp removed hundreds of thousands of voters from the rolls to become governor of Georgia, and Cindy Hyde-Smith was made senator of Mississippi, while Kavanaugh and Gorsuch were seated on the nation's highest court, the word of God came to the people of Middle. The word of God came to the people of Middle. And they went into all the region around the Hudson and the East River, around Sarah Roosevelt Park and El Grito de las Fronteras in Puerto Rico, proclaiming a law of love for the forgiveness of sin for all people. There were many voices crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make God's path straight. Hope 
is on the way. Amen. Good morning, Middle family. Uh, my name is Natalie Runyon, and um, I'm here to invite you to join the movement today and to share with you how Middle's way of love transformed my life. I've been a mem um, member of Middle, that's a little tongue-tying, uh, for 12 years. And in my first year of joining, love that I learned at Middle transformed me in a moment when I realized that I was carrying bias when a group of brown or black men was walking towards me, I was the woman who was clutching my purse and crossing the street. And love transformed me when I made a decision that I'm going to change it because that is not who God is calling me to be. So in response to that, I um, resisted the urge, and it took diligence and timing. And uh, over a couple of months, I was able to change my default reaction by saying, hello, good morning, how are you? Looking them in the eye as a stranger, but as a neighbor. It took me two year, uh, eight years after that to actually tell that story in a join the movement message, because I felt a lot of shame around that. But I felt like it was a story that I needed to tell because I was being called to live love in a different way that I learned at middle. So this past year, um, about one year ago today, I also was love transformed me when I got appointed to an opportunity to get paid full time and to talk about decentering whiteness and how to be allies to people of color in the workplace. And, and I do that on a, on a regular basis and I get paid full time. But had I not joined middle, I would not know how to do that. I would not understand how to walk humbly with people on the margins and to use my power, privilege, and influence to advance equity and equality in the workplace. And just this past week, um, I got a phone call from a colleague in London where I was asked to intervene in a situation where an all-white steering committee um, had told two women of color no, we don't want you to produce, we don't want to produce an event on the inequalities and inequities in the workplace for International Women's Day. And I said yes, but I wouldn't know how to say yes had I not been a member of middle. So over the past 12 years, as I've learned all of this stuff, my commitment to God, my commitment to this community, my commitment in giving my time, my treasure, my talents have only increased. And my life has been transformed by this community's way of love in ways that I can't even come to start to value. Multiplier effect. And 
every time that I have been asked, I've said yes. So you are invited to join this movement with us. We need you. You just heard what Bertram said. It's not a choice. We have to do this. And by the way, what happened here last Sunday was a 15-year dream that started before Jackie got here, right? And that was the biggest down payment, as Darren Johnston likes to say, on Middle's vision on reframing Christianity. We are doing it. So I want to invite you to join this community of love, doing love, embodying love, learn how to do it in here, use this as your incubator, use this as your, as your way to make those mistakes, because God knows I've done, done it too, to go out there and to show what love looks like. Amanda will be up here after to tell you how to do that. Thank you.
your word that will find us wherever we are, even in the wilderness, even, God, when we're doing the wild things. Thank you, God, that you will seek us with light and hope and peace and love. Thank you for creating in us the shared wisdom and desire to make all the crooked places straight, to smooth out the rough things. And thank you, God, for the word preached by Bertram that reminds us we have no choice but to partner with you in the healing of your world. So use our bodies, use our desires, use our gifts, use our money, God, to make it be on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll be sure to give you the thanks. Amen. Amen. And let's remain standing and sing our closing hymn. Friends, people of God, I entreat you to leave from this place to go out into the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord that is coming for justice, for peace, for hope, and for love for this community and for every community around the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>